much about it. I just started it, and I didn't listen to that review recording. I started to listen to it, and then when they got to the review part, I, 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 I'll read it after I finish the book because I didn't want them to give anything away. Yeah, the review was fun, and I just did an interview with them. There's, there's a part of the review where they get into some of the – now I wish we would have recorded all our sneaker stuff. I'll just show them again for the recording. Air Jordan 1 and Safari. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they got into some of the plot stuff in the review, and then most of the stuff there is, like, really early in the book. And then they did, like, a special spoiler talk that they only released on their Patreon feed, mm -hmm. uh, and that has some stuff that talks about the end of the book. But, yeah, I think you're in the right move. Don't listen to no, it. I, I don't want to know what happens. I just started it. I'll finish it this weekend. Ooh, nice. And then you can post a review on Amazon. I need Amazon oh, review. No, I definitely will. Um, the Good. thing is, will it go through? Because I bought it from you, and sometimes they have these things where they won't put your review on because um, if you didn't buy the book from them because they don't know that you bought the book. You know how you have all these people that are getting paid to review things? Yeah. So I'll if try that, it. If that hangs you up, you could always just buy it. the ebook. Yeah. And that will convince them that you bought something. Yeah, but, I'll try um, it. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, yeah, so far I've heard from a few people that have read it, and, and they're really excited about it. And if you like basketball, you're oh, going yeah. dig it. Yeah, and you've even got your kicks. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm ready to nice. go just to get a game. But, uh, you know, the Celtics have been doing pretty badly here. I'm not happy. <laughs> Good stuff. So uh, Sandy's on the Cape. I've been talking to Nell about putting a reading together in Cambridge. My two go-to spots there have been Porter Square Books and The Coop. And I really Where like reading at The Coop. here to The Cape. They have a bookstore out there? Yeah. And they got a gazillion writers out here. I'm in a writer's group now with a bunch of former agents and writers and stuff that are all trying to get back into writing again. And um, there is, um, there's, there's a few of them. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, email you. I'll find yeah, out. We'll take that offline. Yeah. Um, so uh, good. And now we'll talk offline about the coop thing. I love reading at the coop because I used to just walk through there as a young guy and look yeah. at all the books. Um, and Porter Square Books has only been around for like a minute, maybe 10 years. Uh, but anyway, we have stuff to talk about in terms of, I'm happy to answer questions or talk about the book. I'm happy to answer questions and talk about craft. We have, uh, Rich W here who appeared in my last book. Um, everyone pays. He was a pimp that got killed in a really oh. gnarly way. And, uh, that was one of the benefits of being a listener back then. So Rich has been listening to the podcast for a long time. Um, loyal fan, awesome supporter, also on the Patreon. And, uh, you know, it's nice to have some Patreon folks over here. My thing, the thing that I want to do with Patreon is to, and maybe some of you guys will be interested in this. I want to do a, a thing like this for all the people on Patreon who've been listening to the podcast of the book once I release the last episode. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I'll do in the old podcast days, 10 years ago, we would have like an interview after the podcast, after the serialized version of the novel ended, there would be an interview 
Uh, and so I want to do an interview with a bunch of the listeners. So on Patreon, I'll have a doodle poll that I'll send out to figure out the maximum availability of people. And then we'll do one like this and get, get a bunch of stuff on, a bunch of folks on. But yeah, one more episode away. And it's in the, the episode is done. I just have to put on the front and back stuff. And it's been exciting. I just did an interview with the guys who did the review of the book. Um, a friend of mine in Amherst, who's a writer, read the book and reviewed it. And um, there might be some newspapers looking at it. So there's some interesting and exciting stuff going on. Yeah. Well, and I'm I glad like to see all of you guys. What, Sandy? I like the whole uh, – well, the, the, I've only read a few of them because I, I haven't had time to read them this summer but they're they're very good i mean i just i never expect what's going to happen at the end it's just uh i like um i because i'm i'm doing writing i'm very observant of the writing um you know how the scenes uh the scenic description things that i'm um not very good at it because i'm an impatient writer and i just like to read and i don't care about description so then I have trouble writing it. So I, and I like, um, so I like what you've done with it. Yeah. Thank you. Sandy and Elise are both in my current Stanford class. Uh, Lynn was in my Stanford class. I want to say two years ago or maybe more in the summer. And, uh, Lynn completed the writing certificate program. Sandy is in the writing certificate program. Elise, are you in there? No, no. Okay. And uh, Nell is over there at Harvard, and Rich is in. Where are you, Rich? Oh, sorry, I had to unmute my audio or unmute unmute myself. Um, I am on your Patreon, and uh, I'm from. I'm sorry, I'm not. <laughs> You're in Wisconsin, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm Wisconsin. in Wisconsin. Sorry. Nice. I'm not fully awake right now. I've been up since 2.30 in the morning. Oh, um, my gosh. It, it's nothing new for me, but it's it's a little something for me to stay awake this late because I normally <laughs> work a third shift. So yeah. if I'm if you ask me a question and I don't get it right away, don't take it as me not listening. It's just me. Just uh, what? <laughs> I won't put any pressure on you. No math questions. And if you want to chime in, just raise your hand and, and we'll go to you. Uh, but um, just talking about the craft of this book um, to sort of dovetail the book talk and the craft thing, one of the things that they picked up on or that they started talking about in that review that I thought was interesting was that in this book, um, some of the stuff that I've written can be pretty violent. And in this book, there's not a lot of hardcore violence and nobody wants to kill each other. Nobody gets killed. There's no murder. And um, guys will like get into a fight and there's fisticuffs. And then afterward, they might start getting along or something like that. Like they have disagreements, they fight, and then they kind of get along. And the point that the reviewers were making, which I thought was interesting, was that... Um, there's nothing that anyone does in this book that you couldn't feel like sort of makes sense or that you couldn't imagine doing it yourself. Um, and I think I came to writing it that way because in some of the prior Jack Palms books, more like uh, This is Life or Checkmate, 
I sort of got into this thing where um, it was kind of mayhem. Like Jack Wakes Up is pretty much got this direct plot line and, and things are going on. But there are some big shoot-ups and car chases. And then in This Is Life and Checkmate, I remember somehow a friend of mine gave one of my books to this guy in San Francisco who was my doctor. And he read the books. And uh, he said, oh, that one was just full of mayhem. And that stuck with me. It's like the whole city is kind of burning down and these guys are just going about all this stuff. And um, a couple of years after those were written, I, I, that kind of stuck with me. And I was like, mm, maybe I need to scale back on the mayhem. And so uh, the sort of large scale pot boiler, not so much of like the world is going to get blown up or there's an atomic bomb or something. <laughs> But um, just the whole city, like the police force is going crazy. There's shoot-ups over here and shoot-ups over there. And there's a giant warehouse where a whole bunch of action goes down. Young Junius kind of has this giant shoot-up for like a quarter of the book. Um, so in this one, I just went a different direction. And it, it's more like the inspiration for this is... Um, something like romancing the stone where like these people are just chasing after stuff and they're kind of friendly with one another. Uh, but this, it's this giant chase to go after this thing that they covet. And so they're sort of fighting and competing to get it. I mean, yeah, yeah I it definitely makes sense. I, it's, it's definitely, uh, I, I can totally see the parallel to the movie. This is an old one. I think it's nice to uh, be moving away from mayhem and gore and just horror, horror violence. I just read one of the John McDonald, Travis McGee books. And it, it's such a, you know, his books are just fantastic. And you're engaged, you're involved. And there's there's violence, but it's not it's not crazy chaos violence. Um, you know, I I I personally have become a little inured to just the gore and the violence, and I I'm I don't always want to read it anymore. I'm just not interested. So. Yeah, I feel like as I I started when I got into kind of writing procedurals for a little while with In Broad Daylight and Everyone Pays the people that were getting killed in in broad daylight were women. And I, and then I felt like enough with violence against women. So in, um, the next one, the, in everyone pays, the main character is a woman and the big killer is killing these guys who are violent to women. And so the, the violent guys are getting like these terrible deaths. Um, yeah, they're really gory deaths. There's like, some pretty gruesome super, stuff there. Super duper. Yeah, there's some pretty gruesome stuff there. I got into like a really dark version of like this. I want to portray San Francisco as really dark and it's a procedure. Everyone. Yeah, this dude is bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like I, I was like completely shocked when I saw my part. And then, <laughs> like, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, I, it's like when you're watching a, a, a film on TV and you're you're just like, no, stop, don't, stop. Yeah, there was some bad stuff there. But the funny thing is that that scene very much parallels the scene in True Romance where uh, Gary Oldman is this weird pimp with like a big scar on his face and he has no shirt on and something bad happens to him. I guess he just gets shot. 
But in this one, yeah, some bad stuff. Yeah. It surprised me. I wrote Everyone Pays, and that was the only book of mine that was recorded for audio by someone else. And then, so I started listening to that one in the car, and that was my first experience of approaching it from the outside, really. And I was sort of taken aback at how dark it was. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that must be an interesting experience. Yeah, I don't really know. I used to have an office mate uh, at City College, and she was like, oh, you're such a nice guy, and you're writing these violent books. What's going on? Where is this coming from? And I don't, I don't know. I think part of it is the genre, and part of it is you know, different influences from things that we read or movies that we watch. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't like to look too close to uh, whatever might be paralleling my subconscious. I, I, I prefer to keep it a magical mystery tour. I don't know what that means. <laughs> it means I don't want to sit around analyzing, well, I'm experiencing this today, so that's why this book has this chapter. And, oh, I can see parallels the way my mother treated me and how this mother in this book is treating this character. Oh, I make, it all makes sense now. <laughs> I, that's what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't want to go. I just prefer it to be sort of a flow state and not, not pick it apart too closely. Yeah. Yeah. And not picking these things apart at all, I ended up with this really violent novel. And at this point, I can just like, I don't know what happened there. Similarly, with the Maltese Jordans, like, I don't know what happened there that created this whole giant story around these sneakers and, and 90s basketball stars and conspiracies. And um, I don't know. It's very different. And I would say that in terms of how I worked on it, I definitely gave myself more leeway to go down the rabbit holes of research and just sort of explore that stuff and not really stick to the idea that I need to do a certain number of words per day. Like I feel like in a lot of my prior processes, I was really all about the word count. And if something sort of pulled away my attention or I felt like, Oh, I need to find out about this gun or I need to find out about that. Um, I would keep myself on a pretty short leash so that I would still get the word count. And I feel like, um, yeah, with this book, just going down that rabbit hole really led to some um, fascinating stuff and I think made the book so much better. And, you know, like we were talking about with the sneakers, like that rabbit hole is sort of this obsessive thing that I've always kind of had in the back of my life and not really indulged. and. Um, so to like let that into the book and let that have some space to breathe, I think was really fun. And what came out of it, uh, I enjoy. The process of writing the book was fun and readers are really responding to it. I think part of it is having fun on the page. Like that was one of the first things that happened when I wrote Jack Wakes Up was I just gave myself this license to really work off of influences like TV shows and um, movies and not just all books that I had read. And so when I did that, I started having more fun. I got into the podcasting, which was really fun because uh, guys like Rich and a lot of strangers out there were listening and supporting me and just really cheering me on, giving me that positive feedback. Um, and 
I think with this book, there's so much stuff out there on YouTube that's really interesting and weird about old basketball players or about guys with unbelievable collections of sneakers or sneakers that are coming out. And um, just kind of getting interested in that stuff, I, you know, I think I think was good. It's funny because prior to this book, my favorite book of mine is Young Junius. And that one partly was really exciting for me because it was set in Cambridge in the time that I was growing up in Cambridge. So it had like, it's not autobiographical by any means, but sort of the landscape is, is one that I knew and went back to from my childhood, from my middle school years. And um, I think that process really made writing that book rewarding. And there was just some genre bending there or like white guy, black characters that made it hard to sort of market that book. Um, the big marketing experience that I had with that was I really wanted to get it into African-American fiction on Amazon. And I got it. I finally got it into African-American fiction and there was this big promotion around it. So it started climbing the chart and uh, it hit number one in African-American fiction. And the number two book that day was something called jump off bitches. And it's like, if you're reading a book whose title is jump off bitches, there's just not going to be that much overlap between what you're reading and what I, there's just like when I read that book, the, the style of writing is just so different. It's just such a different experience. Like everything that I talk about not doing in my classes, these writers are doing and some their readers are used to reading that way. It's wild. Um, but yeah, the research piece was really interesting for me. I just got an email from you now talking about how you just did all this research in Jamaica. Now you're worried about overload. How are you going to navigate that? Um, yeah, I, uh, someone was talking to me earlier today about writer's block and I said, I have the opposite. I have like writer's floodgate open, you know, like it's just, I, I have so much sort of fantastic information and stories and detail and landscape and that I'm kind of, I, I kind of was rethinking my entire story and I'm, I'm pretty well into my story, but then of course you're saying, don't rethink your story, you know, but maybe <laughs> there's better ideas than my story. And um, so I'm, I'm just kind of trying to figure that out. I'm trying to keep the new ideas and new information at hand but not let it interfere too much with where I'm going unless I decide it should interfere. So it's kind of a hard tightrope walking balance, I feel like. But I, overall, it was very exciting. And I feel like I got a lot of fresh, vital um, information and felt like my imagination was actually more on target than I thought it was. So that was, that was validating. So Good. Yeah, I, my advice would be just to take a lot of notes and just write down a lot of stuff that you have. Um, and then maybe you can come back to it later. Just put it on three by five cards. Uh, the reason like I'm sort the of shaking the new, the new plot ideas, write those down. Just anything that comes up, just journal right. everything and just get it down onto the page. You know, I find that often when I have a lot of really exciting ideas like that, if I write them down, then I can come back to them later and work them in. 
or once they're written down, I never want to look at them again. So there's two different kinds and the ones that I want to go back to then are valid. But the reason I'm shaking my head about going back to the drawing board and redoing things is because that's been a pattern for you. And so it's like, once you cry wolf, I'm not going to let you cry wolf that the whole plot needs to be thrown out because you've already done that once. And I've heard this from you before. And so I just think it's not the best thing. As I was learning more about the sneakers and all this stuff in the Jordan's book, um, I think what worked for me was just to keep the plot moving ahead. Like my focus in writing regularly and consistently was to keep the plot moving ahead. But then when I found out interesting details, I could like drop them in there or drop them in here. But um, I really think that for me, if I'm writing consistently, I'm writing regularly enough, the plot is coming out from a really strong organic place. I trust in that plot and what's happening with it. And I think like those ideas of like, I need to make major changes. It's kind of wheel spinning and often doesn't really, it just, it worries me because a big goal is to get to the end of the draft. Right. Right. I, I, I feel like if I stay on this track and keep this, this particular sort of plot going, and I I don't know where the plot is going, you know, I'm kind of discovering it as I go. I feel like if I get to a place where I feel like it's, it's finished, I'll have something and then I can go back and look at it. But you know, it's the perennial debate. I want someone to like, give me their stamp of approval. Like this is a good plot keep going. You know, I like, this is, this is a good, you know, and I guess I've I, done feel that. I feel childish about like wanting that, but, but I keep giving you that. No, you haven't said that. I've given you the stamp of approval multiple times. You bring right. a plot, you write it down, you show it to me and I say, good. Yeah. Keep going. That's good. All right. Stamped gold <laughs> sign sealed. All right. Yeah. But I I mean, so Right. I understand where you're coming from and I understand the level of uncertainty and there's some element of that uncertainty that's not going to go away. And so the question is, do you let that thing drive the bus or do you have some other idea about what's going to keep driving the bus? Yeah, exactly. That's thank you. Um, Right. Fear and anxiety should not be driving the bus. Exactly. That's one of the big things that we've been talking about is like in anything in life, it's like, I feel like you don't want to make your decisions from the point of view of fear. If you can make your decision from the point of view of a positive in our class, we've been talking about how like people are afraid to slow down because they think it'll bore the readers. And I'm trying to get these people to slow down. And so, you know, the first question that comes up is, well, what if I write too much? When does it become too much? And it's like, okay, so that question is coming out of fear of boring the reader again. What if we flip it around? When is it enough? Like, when is it enough for the reader to really understand what's going on visually? And I think Sandy and Elise, you guys are really starting to get that now. Sandy, I was just reading, you were talking about grounding a lot. and, And that's like, that's another way of looking at it. That's what we're, that's what you're starting to build. Well, in talking about that, one of the things that I liked that you did in uh, Jack Wakes Up, 
the scene in the beginning where he goes into the house for his friend or the guy he's looking for, looking for yeah. him. Yeah. And the guy's in there dead. Yeah. But he's walking around and he's seeing these things. And I was getting antsy. Yeah. But somebody was waiting for him, you know. But very slowly, he's walking around. He's looking for this guy, and there's signs of trouble. There's signs that dead dog. You know, that I didn't like. I'm sorry, I'm a dog lover. That broke my heart. And then he finds and so the thing about Jack's character, he's very calm. There's nothing I mean, he goes into a bar, he gets beaten to a pulp, and the next night he's going in looking for the the owner of the bar that beat him to talk. I mean, really? You can go I mean, but he he's very calm, but it's very slow. It could be something fast paced where he walks in and you know. But I, I, I like the I like the way you did that and there's no way that any reader would be bored. They sitting at the edge of their chair wondering, right. you know, who's around the corner. That's the thing. That's it exactly, is that when you slow down I mean that's the counterintuitive part. You slow down and then the readers are interested, not because they they have this concept of uh fast pace or fear or something, but it's like because they're invested. They're involved in the scene and they can see it. And so that works much better. Yeah, how do you know that Jack is calm? Uh, just by his actions. The way you've written it, he, how he acts. He, I mean, how he does. He just doesn't get excited. He goes after these guys. He gets himself into situations that, um, you know, speaking of being in a beehive, he's, yeah. there's all these guys around that are going to kill him. Uh, and he just walks, you know, walks right up and does his thing. And uh, I don't know. It's just the way it's written. Right. That um, that scene when he walks into the guy's house and everything looks like there's been a fight or something. It's very creepy. Uh, that's a beehive. And so keeping him in there puts the reader on the edge of his or her seat. And you get this sense that that's where it's also doing double duty because you have this sense that Jack is, um, Jack is really in the zone. He's visually looking at what's going on around him. He's not running out. He's not um, getting in his car. He's just sort of there. And so we were talking a little bit yesterday about that video about the superpower of focus. Do you remember that one now when we were talking about make your, so it's like if your character is really focused, um, that gives the reader the sense of the character being calm, and it also gives the reader the sense of calm in reading it, which we're all looking for. Like I, I'm seeing a lot of people writing stuff where it's like these thought interjections. And I think in our lives, we're not really happy with the moments where we have all these thought interjections. So when we read something without those, it's kind of a relief. It's like, oh, my God, I don't have to listen to this person's brain, like, firing all these things. I get to just, like, see what this person is seeing around them. And that sort of level of zen or peace or whatever you want to call it is really attractive because it calms us. Even if we're on the edge of our seat, we're like, oh, this guy's calm. I like hanging out with him. Are you going to send us the folk, the super focus video or did you, you were going to, um, I did, I did. So oh. I sent it in the, it was it linked in the announcement that I sent. And then okay. I looked in the discussion thread with the short videos and it was already there. And then I just pointed it out again by commenting on that. Okay. I'll, I know where to find it. 
Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Lynn, you've been seeing a lot of stuff where people are really slowing down in the first workshop, workshop one. Uh, what are your thoughts on that now? You've slowed down so much. It's like our group had a sudden big aha moment and everybody's like, oh, we get it. We're in the, we're in the, uh, we're in the system now. So um, we looked at a piece a month ago where um, the, the author was very slow about, about reeling out just a, a few minutes after a nightmare that a vet has had. Um, and she created an, an amazing amount of suspense just with very ordinary activities. They were, they were um, sitting on the bed and they were eating toast and drinking tea and conversing back and forth. And you could just sort of feel the, the tension creep up in the room that this was going to lead to something. Um, and yet she didn't have to say, you know, so-and-so could feel the hair standing up in the back of her neck. And, um, and, and I, I'm finding it myself incredibly hard to create, um, to, to pull my characters thoughts and feelings out just through their, their actions. I'm looking at them and it's like they're, they're little um, uh, action figures doing stuff, but I'm not sure their feelings are, are coming out through their actions. So it's, um, there's, there are a couple different layers to the slowing down thing that, that are really interesting. Well, if we're in a character, if we're in a close narrative distance and we're in a character's head, you can really show how they're feeling by showing what they see. Like in Sandy, in the piece with Jack going into the house that Sandy's talking about, Jack's not doing a lot of physical stuff. Like he's moving around the house, but mostly it's um, things that he sees that's showing that he's calm or, or, or sort of that's where we get into that double duty, like with the exercise where you're supposed to describe the lake from the point of view of the guy that just killed someone. Uh, and so it's like, you're, you're giving a description of something, but there's something that the reader can take in about the viewer's emotional state by the way that it's written. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's, so that's like word word choices and the things that you choose to emphasize rather than the other things that you choose to emphasize around that certain scene. I think part of it is pace is like if, you know, if someone is like really afraid and they're running around, the pace picks up. If they're, uh, if they're calm, it slows down. Um, if they're angry, they might notice certain things. It's not necessarily so much about how things are described, but it's about sort of where the, where the line of sight goes, what the things are that that person is noticing. Like if I walk into a house that I've been going into every day for years, I'm going to notice different things than I would if it's a house that I just walked into for the first time versus if it's a house that I just walked into for the first time that might have a dead body in it. You know, there's a lot of different things there. Like one of the things about the gruesome scenes in Everyone Pays is like this woman has been working homicide in San Francisco for a long time. She walks in, there's this gore. To her, it's no big deal. Um, and so there's there's something that's conveyed through that as well. But I think with regard to the group, it's funny because I've been saying for a long time, like slow it down, slow it down. And gradually people have been listening to me and then with each iteration, it's like, oh, no, slow it down even more. 
And then it got to the point where people just tried to like go so far over the top that I would say, no, that's too much. And they were trying to make it too much. And it still wasn't too much. And it's like, it's just taken a long time, sort of an iterative process of different writers trying it out and just realizing how slow you can go. I mean, we've seen Jane's piece really slow down. We've seen Jen's work with the widow slow down a ton. Your work is slowing down. And, you know, if the writer really pushes against that fear of boring the reader, what we're finding is that readers are just enjoying the work more and more and getting more and more invested in it. At some point it would go too far, I think, but so far we haven't found it because the, the urge to like keep everything so terse and concise and not to bore readers is so prominent, preeminent. Yeah. And that's, so this week in the class, we're doing the, the beehive exercise, which I'm sure you guys remember. And so it's like in the beehive exercise, I'm really pushing you guys to slow things down and that will help you slow things down. And once you've done it, you could probably go even further and slow things down even more to keep raising the tension. Maybe you could put the beehive exercise somewhere. I don't, I'm not familiar with that. We did it when you were in class with me, but I can put it up. The beehive? Yeah. Did you call, did you call it something else? No, it's always been called the beehive. No, I don't remember doing any beehive. But, I'll all send right. you the beehive. Anyone wants the beehive, I can send them the beehive. Me. Okay. <laughs> can you send it to me too? You bet. Uh, yeah, I can do that. I, I'm reading, a, speaking of slowing, uh, um, there's a guy, Kent Haruf, but, um, our, our souls at night. It was a bestseller, and then a Robert Redford movie. It's 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 really incredibly slow, but it's totally engrossing, and it's really two people having a conversation ninety percent of the time. But um, anyway, just an example of it feels really slow, but it's it's sort of riveting, oddly. Yeah. I feel like there's, yeah, I mean, it makes me think of like a book like Affliction by Russell Banks. Um, movie of that is like really slow, but you realize it's really tense and, and you're sort of on edge. Um, there was a Coen Brothers movie. It might have been No Country for Old Men or something else where it's like you're just kind of watching the movie. And then at the end, it ends and you realize only that when it's over that you've been sitting on the edge of your seat like sort of frightened and riveted for over an hour. It just sort of happens so naturally. Elise, I'm so glad to see you here. I thought you'd be in Barcelona by now. I am in Malaga. In you Sonora. are? Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. Malaga. <laughs> yes. Or That's Malaga. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Eat some you. good Spanish food. <laughs> I have been. Yeah, my daughter is studying abroad this semester in Madrid. Nice. So, nice. yeah, we're down here and then we're going to travel around Spain. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. I love Sevilla. Yes, we're going there as well. Yeah. I like the Spanish dancing and the costumes and the castanets. And, I mean, I've never been there. I just, you know, see it on TV, but... Well, uh, they, had a, they had a Disney parade today, oh apropos my. of nothing, and I... I 
opened the door to the hotel and there was the um the little mermaid was salsa you know it's all this <laughs> Spanish music that I've never heard with these Disney characters dancing uh, hilarious. It was fun. Bizarre. Yeah. Imperialism of Disney. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. The gardens outside the cathedral and palace in Sevilla are really beautiful. I look forward to seeing it. Yeah, get you some churros y chocolate. <laughs> I will. Yeah, that stuff is good. Wow. So what are you thinking about in fiction now that you're over there? What's We were talking yesterday about uh, Elisa's story being in present tense. Yeah, so actually one of the things I'm going to do when I'm here is I'm going to go to Berlin for um, a couple of weeks. I, I, I go to Berlin from time to time just to work on my, on my German. Um, but my book is a lot of it is set in Berlin, so I'm going to walk through the scenes, which will be fun. Yeah, yeah. I feel like when I when I was doing research for place research for um, the Everyone Pays the San Francisco book, I would go down to the Tenderloin and these really rough places, and I feel like just getting like small bites of that was really plenty for me, like. I didn't need to immerse mm -hmm. myself a lot. Maybe you got too immersed in Jamaica now. It's like if you're going to go somewhere yeah. really far, you want to stay there for a while. Um, but sometimes it's probably good to take off your writer researcher hat and go just go for a swim or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the people who I met a couple years ago there, I sort of re-met, and he, he's in my book, but he's kind of was the seed of the character. And so to meet him in real life, you're like, Who, wait, you're not, you're not my guy. You know, you're <laughs> some other guy. What, what's happened to you anyway. So I'm glad to see that they kind of, uh, went their separate ways, but it was still weird to kind of see something like that sort of turn up in real time. Yeah. Yeah. You're creating real fiction, real imagined stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good. What other topics or questions are you guys interested in talking about? Um, when is uh, the signed copies going out? I just got the box of those yesterday. Yesterday I got the box. Today I got the mailing envelopes, and they will be going out shortly. I just got the new – so the new one just came. This is the first copy that I have or first of the copies that I have with the sneaker on the cover. Um, and this one has the acknowledgments. Part of the reason it took so long is because I was doing that special offer on Patreon, and uh, I needed to wait until that ended to finish writing the acknowledgments. And so I have the acknowledgments is in here, and everyone on Patreon has their name in there. Now, did you put my last name as W or the other one? Richard W., just like okay. you asked. All right, thank you. No problem. Yeah, I remembered. Did yeah, you put so me in um, as Mumu. Are you on my Patreon? <laughs> no, I think no, I am. I don't think so. Oh yeah, no, you're in as Nell Porter Brown. Oh, all right. I wanted a pseudonym. Next, Too next late. Book. Next book. You should have let me know. I can I'm, sign I'm, it to I'm you teasing. for a pseudonym. I'm, I'm teasing. It's fine. Yeah. That's uh, if you met him. Uh, well, Seth remembers, but uh, 
Seth has a very hard time pronouncing my last name, and in the last couple of uh, podcasts he's done, he's butchered it quite (laughs) quite a bit. And uh, (laughs) how do you say it? Weininger. Yeah, but it doesn't look that way. I just go off of the writing, and so yeah. I know, I know, and and so many people get it wrong. I'm. It, it's funny to me to hear somebody mispronounce it. So it's like, I don't take offense to it, but it's just like, just call me W. There's this woman. Well, okay. So here's the thing that just happened. I keep, so from time to time, I put my foot in my mouth inadvertently and things like that. And people are always very gracious about it. This week, I got a really nice email from a reader a couple of weeks ago. And I was, I, for some reason, I was, uh, I felt prompted to share that in the interview that I was doing last week, uh, earlier this week, actually. Um, the weird thing that, ha- so we've been losing power intermittently because of the big winds out here. And so I was doing the interview, all the lights in the house went off. I was in the basement, pitch black. Uh, but then I used my phone to continue it. Anyway, so um, that was real difficulty. But I, uh, I felt prompted to share this email that I got from a reader named Ansley. And I thought that Ansley was a woman's name. But today I just got an email from Ansley that references his wife or her wife. So now I have no idea if Ansley is a man or a woman. But I called him a her in this interview. I have no idea. Have you guys ever heard the name Ansley? Yeah, for a woman. I've heard Ansley. I've heard Ainsley. For a man or a woman? A woman. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought it was a woman. Maybe she's a woman. I don't know. Now I'm in the I'm in the uh I'm in the muck. (laughs) I don't exactly want to email and ask. It feels kind of awkward. But in any case, it was a nice email. Better to ask than look like an ass. Or mm-hmm. something along those lines. I think uh, one of my English teachers always used to say, when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me, which yeah. is <laughs> I thought that was Louis Farrakhan that said that. <laughs> well, if he did, my teacher stole it. Yeah. I think um, he that might have said... Elliot. Yeah. I think... Yeah, Farrakhan said, because when we atone, we are at one. But I am okay sometimes making an ass out of myself in the podcast realm. Uh, and then I just apologize and move on. So that's what you do. Yeah. I can't wait for people to get the books and start reading them. I feel like it's taken a long time since the the since the sales. And I'm excited to get them out. Sandy already got hers. Yeah, I'll give you a full book review. I, I, I need practice writing book reviews. So I'll give you a book review. Excellent. Yeah, especially if you know your basketball. Yeah, I do. I love basketball. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. I still have questions as I go along about narrative distance. And I know I've, we've been over this and I know there are handouts and I look at them and, but in the actual practical practice of writing, sometimes 
it feels like maybe I, I waver and wobble, but um, I don't know. I don't always, I mean, I, I feel like it's very clunky to, to say she looked and saw the da da da. I feel like I just want to say it's from there. You're in the person. So you just say on the table was a blue lamp. You don't have to say she looked at the table and saw blue. I just, I don't want to do that. I say, there's the blue lamp. There's the computer. You know, she smelled burnt toast. Um, toast was burning. You don't, I don't always, I think if you just do one cue about she, you know, thought or saw X, then you don't have to keep saying it. You just kind of then paint the picture, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's another, so, you know, one of the things that we're battling against is changing point of view all the time. And if you're not changing point of view, then once you've cemented that character's point of view, or even if you have different chapters with different characters' points of view, once the reader knows that we're there, you don't need to keep saying she looked or she watched or something like that. Right, right. Yeah, it becomes assumed or, or sort of a shorthand. Yeah. Sandy and Elise are sort of on the front lines of the narrative distance discussion. Where are you guys with that now? How are you sitting with it? Um, I... I uh, my only question about it was um, I mean I I know what it is I understand it I just think it depends on what you're writing how close or far you want to be um, I when I'm writing something I don't even think about it I write what's in my head and when it comes out you know critique wise and if if someone says something then I know you know but I just write what feels right. Yeah. Yeah, I think on some level, just sort of defaulting to the right narrative distance can happen and it can sort of wind up that way naturally. Um, uh, I, you know, the a, a, a narrative distance of it's one, right? That's the farthest? Closest. Oh, okay, five. If uh, in writing a mystery, if you don't want the the reader to know something, because it's going to give something away, give the story away, give who did it away, whatever. I would say you'd initially want to be farther away. Um, and I ran into that in writing my novel in places where I didn't want, uh, you know, the reader to know um, certain things because then they figure out, oh, well, this person did it. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. It's... Well, one thing, so you can, you can use that approach or you can just put your head, your, your reader in the head of someone who doesn't know who did it. Oh, that's an idea. I mean, that's the way that it usually plays out is with the detective. We're following the detective and we're sort of getting the clues as the detective figures them out. Um, the Hammett story that we read is different than that because we find out at the end that he knew the whole time, but generally it works that like we're finding things out at the same time as the main character. And then if you jump into the murderer's head or something like that, you have difficulty with maybe giving things away. But um, yeah, if you don't do that, then you're okay. And you can be close. Well, in the first exercise I did for your class, you made a comment. Um, and it's something that I never thought about. Uh, I think you said that uh, I had written the first part of my novel and you said that um, 
I think it was the narrator knows more than the reader. Yeah. And I, I never thought about that. That was an interesting idea. I mean, I just never. It's dangerous. I think the way that Hammett gets away with it is that we don't find out until the end that the narrator knows more than we do. But if you feel like the narrator knows stuff that you don't know, it can get really frustrating and feel manipulative for readers. Yeah, yeah that's a danger area. Um, the, the way my um, thing is currently constructed, God knows it will change, but it, it's what I'm not sure there's probably a word for this, but it's kind of parallel interlocking um, narrative plot lines. So in other words, chapter one and two is one person's point of view. Then you shift to a different character in a different setting and you're telling it from their point of view. And so you have these kind of parallel plot lines going forward with different characters and, you know, at different points they're going to intersect. And if they're all in one room, I'll have to choose whose point of view it's being told from. But um, I don't think that's going to be hard. But then, and then you also get like a, a varied sense of, uh, information as you get information right. from different characters young junior yeah. kind of worked like that yeah yeah right because different people know different pieces of what's going on and you have to keep track of who knows what and who doesn't um while also keeping the reader guessing too kind of thing but i like that because i feel like it gives the reader a much wider sense of the whole world you can really right. build a world that way by showing it's it more from of the broad church approach right i just think of it as cubism <laughs> you do that's the word you use yeah it's like you know the cubist thing is that you see this thing from all these different angles it doesn't work so well visually with the cubist paintings but uh, in a book, like if you get all these different perspectives, it really gives you the sense of um, yeah. what's going yeah. on. I, you know, I think about the, if you've ever read the book Dexter or the Dexter books and seen the TV show, the TV show is great because we see the whole world. We see scenes that don't have Dexter mm -hmm. in them. We see other people doing different things. And it's sort of an ensemble cast where we find out a lot of stuff. Uh, and the book is all, all the books are all first person just in Dexter. And so it just really flattens the whole experience. You don't get to know the other characters as well. The other characters aren't as interesting. It's a lot of this stuff in his head. And um, yeah, it's, you know, so I, I like to compare those two. Uh, okay. And the TV show I thought was really good until the last two seasons. All right. Gar to garbage. Yeah. But needless to say, um, yeah, I think one of the things that I was talking about last night a little bit with some writers is uh, kind of the trick of it is what we're working on with narrative distance is to pull out the narrative distance so you get away from using the th sort of thought asides and the interior mental machinations of the character. And then once you learn how to do that, then you can get much deeper into the narrative distance to really put your reader in the place to experience what's happening in the story. And that's kind of the trick that, that I think we're working on is to like, um, I was talking to Liz and sort of really trying to get her to really put herself in that character's space. 
really put herself in that character's existence and feel uh, what's going on with that. Like in the Jack wakes up example, like for that to write that scene where he's going through the house, I really had to work hard at imagining that house. And I'm like thinking about this place in El Cerrito, this house, and I'm look, I just sort of have this mental layout of the house in my head and these series of pictures. And I'm really thinking about if it was me, how would I be walking through this house and what would I be seeing? And I think sort of getting to that level of looking out through the character's eyes and seeing what they're seeing is really part of the trick. And um, trying to slow yourself down and slow down the scene is one way of doing that. But the real, the real sort of mm, guide there is, is really thinking like, what would the character be seeing? What would be important to the character right now? And, and not to sort of get analytical about it from the writer's point of view, but just keep defaulting to like, what would be the, what would be going on for the character? What would be happening for the character? And really, um, it's almost like an acting exercise to kind of, uh, just work your way into, to how that would feel for the character in the, in the time of the scene. That's what we're really trying to get to, I think. Right. We're trying, and to me, that speaks to voice, right? That's, to me, if you're if you're trying to get to the character and you're you're trying to sort of weave together how they're viewing the place, the smells, so this then the voice of that character is going to come through. I feel like um, maybe in first person, but if we're working in third person, it's not as much about voice. Okay. I think in, I, the thing that I see as being difficult with voice is that it gets us to focus more on the, the interaction between the narrator and the reader. It's like I'm talking to you, you're, talking, you're looking at how I'm talking to you. And what I want the reader to focus is more about what I'm talking about and what I'm doing as opposed to what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, yeah, maybe it's just a semantics. I guess what, what I was thinking of is when you're trying to kind of meld the scene to the point of view of the character, like I have a character going into a hotel in the morning, she's scared, and yet the place is sort of, you know, candy colored and mm. she smells bacon, she's hungry. You know, she kind of, that's how she's viewing the place she's not really taking in the whole thing. She's taking in these little pieces of it because she's kind of unnerved and, and unsettled. Um, yeah. I would say it's more about the character's experience than the character's voice. Voice uh, is different uh, for me. Yeah. The character's particular experience. Okay. Yeah. Lynn, I feel like you've been getting closer and closer to your character. It was good when your character I feel like it was kind of a breakthrough when your character like went for a run. Yeah. And she, that that's interesting that you bring that up. I've been going back through my archives of stuff and I have about 16,000 words of scenes with the character trying to understand her. Yeah. But 
I realized as I was pulling these out that I wrote them all in, in first person so that I could really kind of dig in there. But the piece actually is in third person. So um, I'm trying to figure out how to pull in the, f- the, the sense of her that I have from being way inside her head mm. and speaking from her voice and I don't know if this is making sense, but the pulling back a little bit, having a third person narrator and still being able to, to put out all the stuff that I, that I know about her. Mm. Um, so she's kind of wobbling back and forth. Some days she's pretty cool. And some days she's just like a little stick figure mm. and some days she's got some substance and then some days she's just, you know, gone through the motions. So, um, but I feel like, I got to know that character in a different way when she just like went for a run to blow off steam and you really narrated that process from the character's point of view. It just really sort of, Mm -hmm. it, I felt like it got to a new level of depth. And, and that was because of what, what I was telling you about what she was seeing and experiencing. Is that, well, it just felt like you were really getting your head into her head and her body and narrating what she was experiencing. Okay. It's sort of an extra point where you slowed down even more. Yeah. I'm still looking for that scientific equation, and it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Totally. That's the thing. If you start, if you put on your egghead hat and try to come up with a scientific equation or try to figure out this equals this plus that, it's hard. But I think if you're looking for a guide point or like a true north, you just have to look to the character to guide you. Like the character, the character's desires and the character's, uh, what they notice and what they're seeing and, and how they're feeling and what's important to them, that really will be the guide. Get Sort of take off the writer thinker hat and just try to like get yourself into the character's shoes and that will help. And I'm hearing the door to the upstairs open, which means that a six-year-old might be uh-huh. coming down to attack. <laughs> Good afternoon, kiddo. Is that Willa? That's Willa with her... Uh, tiara on she's been wearing a tiara to school for the past two days hi you you say hi how are you how can you hear her i can hear oh Oh, no i'm I'm wondering how she hears you did you um (laughs) do you want to tell them which sneakers you like the best um look at the sneakers over there and tell them which ones you like the best <laughs> Does she have her own? The safaris are best because they're nice and soft. Yeah, those ones. Oh yeah, those, I mean those are neat. They, that looks like alligator teeth on the side. Nice. Did you get hit in the face with ice again today? No, good. Um. So thank you guys for being here for office hour. Books thank are going you. in the mail. Uh, you can order yours at my website if you like, or on Amazon. What? This is the end. Do you want to wrap it up? Do you want to say bye? Okay, now they can hear you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Seth.
Thanks, Seth. Hi, thanks yeah. for being here, everybody. Bye. Good to see you. That's Rich W. Yeah. And that's now. And Elise, she's in Spain right now. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? No. 